thanksgiving. Thank you for their prayers. Thank you for the way that you have cared for us through them. Uh, and God, I pray that uh, what we say today would be clear and be of encouragement. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. I always, there's some of these, we'll go through some of these quickly because most of you know us fairly well uh, and you've seen our faces and you've known Teresa longer than you've known me. Uh, and so I'll kind of brush through these quickly. But my, we're John and Teresa Simons. We are missionaries in Columbia, South America. Uh, Teresa was raised in this church. Uh, she's one of the Rose Sisters, um, and so uh, we're, we're really privileged and, and happy to be here, and thank you. We, we, when we left uh, the second time a year and a half ago, uh, one of the encouraging things for me, this church asked, what can we pray for? And I said, pray for friends for the kids. That was the thing that was most urgent on my mind. You know, travel, sure, that our boxes would get there, absolutely moving, classes. There's a bunch of other logistical things, but the thing that kind of worried me the most was friends for our kids. Uh, and we had several people from this church email and say, hey, how are the friendships for your kids going? So I just want to thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank you for following up. Thank you for, uh, even if you didn't email, but for those prayers, we really, really appreciate it. So please know that, know that wholeheartedly. Um, so, Columbia, that's a picture that Teresa took. Uh, it's very green. Um, if you've seen the movie Encanto by Disney, there's a lot of things I don't suggest, but if you see it, it is very green. That is actually how it looks. Um, <coughs> Colombia is the northernmost country in South America. We live in a city called Medellin. One of the things I wanted to, there's a lot of uh, information on here, but the, the stat I wanted to focus on is the evangelical, uh, how it's increased. From 1996, it was 3.4%. Uh, to the present, it's about 15.7%. I've actually heard statistics that bring it up to 18 or 19%. So the church in the last 20 years has grown uh, exponentially, uh, which is the main reason that we are there. Uh, we are there to help train pastors and kind of walk alongside uh, the work that church is already doing uh, to try to do shepherding and teaching uh, and discipleship with this group that has grown uh, so much. Um, most of the time when people hear about Colombia, they hear, in their minds, they hear and they see TV shows where there's lots of shoot-em-ups, uh, where there's drug, mean drug guys with big guns, right? Uh, which is, unfortunately, a very real part of the history of Colombia. Uh, since about, uh, since the mid-40s, uh, there has been continuous warfare. Put it down. So anyone who is over the age of 70 uh, sorry, anyone who's under the age of 70 cannot remember a time without war. So that's the reality for most uh, uh, people uh, in Colombia. Uh, and, and that's, I mean, I mentioned this a little bit uh, in the sermon last week, but when we talk about the 6 million people that have been displaced by violence, so Colombia has the largest, uh, the largest number of people internally displaced by violence, uh, and it's people that ran, ran away from these wars into the cities or into other places. Um, but that is not, it is not all gloom and doom. Uh, Columbia also has wonderful things like coffee and chocolate. Uh, and uh, the flower festival, these pictures on the far right are from the flower festival. Teresa took the kids. Uh, it's really beautiful. If you go to your local grocery store, you go to Publix and you look at the flowers, most of them come from the city that we live in called Medellin. It's, uh, the tagline is it's the city of eternal spring. So if you want to come visit, it's seven days year round. So. Um, 
And where we serve uh, is in a little <laughs> seminary. So this is, this is the city. The city uh, was built in a valley, and it's grown so much that it's grown up the sides of the, of, of the, up the, sides of the mountains. Um, last, w- w- about, let's see, five years ago, the population was two and a quarter million of the city. Now it's pushing four. So it's a city that's growing really rapidly. Uh, it's growing up the sides of the mountain. Uh, it doesn't really have anywhere to go. Uh, and so we live, this seminary where we are used to be a farm that was on the outskirts of the city. Now it's in the city, uh, but uh, up one of the sides. And this uh, is, this was taken from the seminary campus. So that's actually John's office window there on the bottom left corner right here. And our house is 10 yards that way. So I have no excuse for being late in the morning. <laughs> Uh, these are just a couple pictures uh, of the seminary. Um, a lot of it is refurbished old farm buildings. Uh, so, um, yeah, this is, this is our office. This is my office, and this is our house. <laughs> you got to walk all the way around, of course. But, um, so that's sort of just a, a, a picture of where we live. Um, it, it, was, it was a seminary that was founded in 1944. Uh, and the thing that we try to do is provide education uh, for pastors and leaders. And so uh, right now we have about 150 uh, undergraduate students that are there on campus. They're residential students. We have about 300 virtual students, uh, and they, uh, they are both part of the undergraduate program. In that undergraduate program, there's a pastoral studies and a biblical studies program. Um, the, the 300 virtual students is a little bit deceptive because it takes them, instead of doing it in four years, oftentimes they do it in seven or eight because it's people who are working at their church and they're working full time. As, as, so uh, it ends up just taking them a little bit longer. Uh, and so the number is about the same, uh, I would say. Um, we also have a master's program, which this church has helped and been praying uh, for us for many, many years. It was opened uh, last year. Uh, praise the Lord. And we had our first group of students uh, that first group of students was small. It was about eight, but the projections for next year is about 15. Uh, so the Lord, the Lord has opened that door, and we're really thankful. So it's, right now, it is the only government-accredited evangelical master's program uh, in Latin America. The only other one where students could go to is in Fuller uh, in California. And so it's a huge deal that this is, that this is available. Um, one of the complications with the master's program and with the undergraduate program and keeping accreditation is the government kind of keeps changing the rules. And so uh, every six months or so, they'll say, oh, there's this new paperwork you need. And it requires you know, two or three months of work. And uh, so the, the way it was described by someone is the goalposts kind of keep moving. But the Lord has been gracious enough to allow us to uh, adjust with it and get the paperwork together. And um, when the stats came up for the, for the schools last year, our seminary of programs that only offered one degree, so we only offer one degree, so like tech schools and things like that. Fuspa uh, said was number four in the country, uh, so we're really thankful. Even even though they keep moving, changing the rules, uh, the Lord has blessed us and kind of given us favor in their eyes. I think because we have a lot of people that are working really hard there. Um, and one of the things that they grade you on is the income that your students have upon graduating. Which we always get last place. Most of our <laughs> most of our students don't don't really make pretty much anything from their churches. They usually have a job on the side. So um, that 
that is included in the us being fourth. So that's yeah. kind of encouraging even more. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so there's the undergraduate program. There's the master's level program. There's also what's called the diploma program. So for that, it, that's for sort of that's kind of evening school uh, or weekend school. And this is for people who work full time, but they want to know more about theology. So it's not a, technically a degree, but it's for people who want to learn more. And for that one, there's about 2,000 students, uh, somewhere in the 1,800 to 2,000 students uh, that come on weekends. And then, so that's, I mean, the Lord uh, has given us a, uh, what's, the right, what's the right way to say this? Um, a great, some great opportunities, some really great opportunities. Uh, these are the classes I teach, History of Christianity 102, Philosophy and Logic. I'm the Greek guy, unfortunately, so they... Uh, I have a lot of corny jokes about Greek. I won't make you suffer there. And historical theology. Um, and one of the things I put on there, uh, in each class, so for example, with Greek 1, uh, we walk through John chapter 1 through 3. Uh, for Greek 2, we do Matthew 5 through 7. And for Greek 3, we'll do the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so, yes, there is the lesson and things like that, but part of what we try to do is, how does this preach? What's the whole point of even, because you, you learn a language, and it's a lot of work. And what happens most of the time is many times people will go to seminary, they will learn Greek, and then they will forget it the day they walk out of the door. Uh, and my thing as a teacher is I feel like that's a, tra just a tragedy. If you don't want to use it, don't study it. It's okay. You know, there are great pastors that don't know Greek. Augustine, knew very, he knew no Hebrew, okay? And he was a great pastor. So it's possible to be a good pastor and not know the ancient language. However, they do give us a depth and a breadth of God's word. And they, for me personally, they help me to read more slowly to pay more attention to detail. Uh, and so, for example, with Matthew 5, 28, uh, in the passage that talks about adultery, uh, there's, there's one of the things that I did on that day is it's, we looked at infinitives and the different uses of infinitive. And one of the uses of infinitive is with purpose. If, if you have uh, two, two uh, with, with this infinitive, then oftentimes it means purpose. And if you look at the Greek there, it says, if a man looks at a woman to lust. And there, that, that pros plus the infinitive means that it's with the purpose of lusting. That is why this person looked. And we kind of pause there and we talk about, okay, so what are the implications here? What is Jesus really honing in on? He's honing in on your intentions. He's honing in on your heart. Right? The conversation, yes, is about adultery. And yes, it is about divorce. And it's about all these other things. But more than anything else, it's about your heart. So we camp out there for a while and talk about how, does the, how would you preach something like this? You're not going to tell people, okay, this is what the infinitive does, yada, yada. You shouldn't do that in the congregation. But as you're preparing your sermon, how can you use the Greek to really highlight what Christ is trying to point out? So when, when we do classes like this, I, I try to put in tidbits of that sort of thing. Because in a place um, among pastors, we want to know, does it preach? Uh, and so I, I try to build that into that to, to kind of encourage the students with their, uh, with, their, um, with their learning. Sorry, I got really excited about that. I talked for that longer than I should have. Um, we also had to do a lot of online classes, uh, which continues with the virtual class. This last time I taught a history of Christianity course, uh, virtual and residential at the same time. And the virtual class had 40 students. It was huge. It was too big. And yet, it was an encouragement every week. I'm, I did these optional uh, get-togethers where we would kind of discuss the readings. And uh, every time, we had between 35 and 38 students that showed up. And it was, you know, at 8 o'clock in the evening on Monday. It was awful. Uh, and yet, I'd come home 
you know, thrilled um, because you have students that want to learn. Uh, I think I'd rather have teachable people than, than anything else anytime. And so the Lord has really blessed us with that. Uh, this top right corner, I also, uh, on the research side, um, I have to publish and do other things. So I've started to do a translation of a text. It's the one I mentioned last week of Athanasius when he had to run away. Uh, and so I translated this with a student. I applied for a grant to translate it and write an article with them, and it was accepted. Uh, and so we kind of have a little translating group, uh, and we're going to try to write something together. But it's looking at how have Christians in the past read Scripture, Scriptures that deal with people who have had to run away from their homes, displacement. How have Christians in the past dealt with displacement? Uh, and so uh, that's been really fun. Uh, it's been really encouraging, and it helps the seminary tick the boxes for the government. Uh, so we're thankful. Um, that's a video, so when you click it again, it's going to start. We won't do that. I think yeah. it's me talking, and I'd, I'd rather not. This was, this was right after COVID. Uh, yeah. So the other thing that we do uh, is we travel to different places to teach. Uh, and so oftentimes a church somewhere will say, hey, we've got a group of churches, and we'd like to have a seminary professor come talk to us about whatever. Around Reformation time, I get lots of calls because uh, I'm the history guy. Uh, and so that sort of thing happens regularly. Um, and so one of the things that I've tried to do uh, is ask them, number one, can my family come with me? I'll pay for their travel, but could they come? Just so that the rest of us can see the rest of Columbia. Um, but I feel like our ministry is something that we do together. So far, we've talked mostly about the stuff I do in the classroom, and it's something that I have to do. But I feel like the real strength of our ministry is that they see what it looks like for a family to do this together. Um, most of these people have families. And so uh, we oftentimes travel together, which has been a real, real blessing. And the other thing I ask is that they allow me to teach it with students. Uh, years ago, <clears throat> five years ago, when, I first, it, when it was my first year of teaching, uh, my dad was asked to do one of these conferences. Uh, he used to teach at the same seminary. Uh, and he said, sure, but can I do it with my son? Uh, which is a huge honor, uh, and I actually ended my class early so I could go listen to his. Um, but one of the things I try to do is ask if they'll allow me to do the same for students. Because when you, it's your first time teaching a Sunday school class and you have somebody who's done it before, it's a huge help, uh, and I felt the same. I, I, the pedagogy and what to say and what not to say and when something wasn't clear and how to say something and how to organize material, it's helpful to have someone to walk alongside with you. So. Uh, when I've done these, last time I did, this was, the, this was a group where we went to Uraba. Um, I went, it's the, it's the place that grows almost all of the bananas that are shipped to the United States. So if you had a banana from Colombia, it came from this place. Um, but I had two students come and do it with me. And so I had each of them teach one little section of the course. Uh, and afterwards I talked to them about, hey, how did you feel? What part did you get stuck on? Uh, what part did you enjoy? Um, how did we do with the readings? And just kind of discuss it with them and kind of plan for the future just so that they, the first time they're thrown into a situation like that, they don't feel like they're by themselves. Somebody did it for me. I like to try to offer it for others. Um, yeah. The last thing, and then we'll get into kind of daily life. So these are two of the students that went on this conference that did it with me. Up here uh, in, the, in the big picture, his name is Franklin. Uh, he was actually raised in this area, and then he went to the seminary, uh, and then seeing him teaching there was really encouraging for him. Uh, the, the line, a, a prophet is not received in his own country. Uh, there were people that heckled him because you know he, they, they knew him from when he was younger. Uh, and yet, 
having a prof there saying, no, no, he's great in the classroom, and he's showing a lot of promise. I think my hope was that that would just help kind of uh, encourage some of the, the, the relations that, that he had there. And then Juan Ignacio is another student. Uh, Kelly, I, I also have to supervise students who do, uh, they have to write an undergraduate thesis. I never had to. I'm really glad I didn't have to, uh, but they do. Uh, and so she, her, her project was on how scripture, and specifically how uh, our Christology, how our concept of Christ can help a child uh, who has gone through abuse. Uh, what we understand about who Christ is and how he loves us, how, how that can bring comfort to a child, because she wants to start a foundation for uh, kids on the street. Uh, and so it's really neat to see, here's a student who's about to graduate, uh, who really, really cares, who has a vision for how she'd like to put this into practice, um, but she wants her learning to be useful immediately. Uh, so it was, it was a hard project to supervise, um, but it was, it was also a blessing. Uh, and then the last thing we sort of do on campus, uh, and then I'm going to hand it over to Teresa, is these are the solteros. These are the single guys. And so every Monday night, uh, I do a Bible study with them. Uh, sometimes they teach it. Sometimes I teach it. Sometimes we just pray. Sometimes what they just need is an hour of prayer. Um, but it's sort of a way to kind of check, check up on them, see how they're doing, uh, hear about what's going on in their lives. All of them have to serve in a local church. So it's also hearing about how that's going. Uh, but that's kind of scheduled into every Monday night. Uh, and then at the end of the semester, we try to... Cook them, a, cook them a meal. Uh, every time I ask what they'd like, they always say steaks. Uh, <laughs> next time I'm going to just offer hot dogs or something. I don't know. Uh, but it, and it always, it's, it's, it's a joy to have them there. Uh, they, they, when, when we get together like this, we always think we cook too much food, uh, and the only thing left over is the broccoli. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great group of guys. Uh, and one of the neat things here is they... Uh, are able to see us. I mean, the kids will cook different things. Uh, they'll sit in amongst the students. Uh, they see each other. The the they'll play. They'll you know these students are very busy, but they'll see our kids on campus and they'll play with them on the playground for a little while. Kick the soccer ball around. Every time I go play basketball with the students, they ask me if Cademan is coming because he's played a couple. You know, no no older teen, 20-year-old, wants to play with a boy who's 10, and yet they really seek to include them. And I think it's because uh, many of them are raised in families, and they love kind of being part of a family uh, if they can while they're there. So one of the things that we try to do is just kind of live life among them and with them and include them any chance we get. And, um, you know, just so it's, we seek to be a blessing to them, but oftentimes uh, we feel blessed also in return. Uh, and it's, there's been several times where um, a student will say, I was really encouraged by something your daughter said. And I thought, oh, no, what did she say? You know, it's not your, your son said, whatever. Uh, but it ends up being really encouraging and a huge blessing to see uh, what that looks like when, when it's everybody together. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. What time is it? 20. 20? Yeah, we got 25 minutes. Oh, we're, we're good. good. Okay. We're good. Um, okay, so this is a picture of the playground. Most of y'all are, um, well, some of y'all may be aware that we had a new playground put in this year, and it was a really big deal. Pinewoods got behind that, and um, here's the fruit. It's, <laughs> it's really exciting um, for many reasons, but uh, the neighborhood that we live in is a 
uh, they, they stratify the neighborhoods there. I don't know how to explain that, but it's like, like a class system sort of, right? But it's not, I'm explaining this very poorly. I apologize. Let me try again. Okay, the neighborhoods are ranked based on economic status of the people that live in the neighborhood. This neighborhood's rank is second to last, which means that it's basically a concrete urban jungle. There's, there's no places to play for kids. The streets are um, narrow, unsafe, steep. Um, it's very crowded. And so having something like this available in the neighborhood is a huge thing. Yes, for the kids, we have about 50 kids on campus. So for our 50 kids, it's a big deal. But every afternoon, the seminary, Monday to Friday, the seminary opens up for neighborhood kids to come on campus. We have a library that's free for kids, and they get to come read books, which again, when you're from an, a region or an area where it's lower, lower class, that's a really big deal. They have access to books that they can hold in their hand, and they can check them out and take them home. So that's a huge deal. And then they also get time to play on the playground. And um, I've said this to some of you, but the first couple weeks, I was just really happy and it was funny and I was laughing with John because so many kids I would overhear them talking to each other about how their arms were so sore or their legs were sore and they were so like you know muscle soreness and I was like yes that's such a victory like we're getting our kids exercising and playing so that made me really happy um you can keep going yeah so that's the um playground this um picture the big one is of our students doing a fundraiser um they were trying to raise money to pay for their portion of an event, and so they were selling uh, chorizo and arepas, which are kind of like Colombian tortillas, but small and thick. And um, so I got a picture of that. They're just sweet kids. The other two pictures are of children on campus, and I don't like taking pictures of other people's children and you know posting them. I struggle with that. So. I always have a hard time finding pictures of the children. But the top one is of Lena's birthday party, which was this really fun thing. We did it in the gym, and it was all the little girls her age on campus, including um, two little girls. One isn't in the photo that are indigenous. And so they speak Spanish as their second language, and their dad is there as a student. So I just wanted to kind of represent some of what our community looks like. Some of these are missionary kids, but the majority of them are not. And in and that guy, he's doing a Bible translation project. So he's part of the Wewa people group. They do not have a Bible in their language. And so he's doing not only a translation, but he has said oftentimes translators will come translate the Bible and leave, but they're an oral culture. So it, it, it kind of stays stagnant, and it, what they need is recordings of it or someone to read it aloud. And so in lieu of that, he's done these recordings. So every time they just finished the book of Acts, he read the entire book of Acts and recorded it with a, uh, one of these fancy digital recorders. And they've put it up online, and they've got it on USBs and things like that, so that when they distribute the Bible, it's not only the Bible in written form, because most people, but since most people don't know how to read, it's also in read form. Uh, yeah. And that's their dad. And he's a student. And he's, yeah. So anyways, sorry. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Um, and then the bottom one is every fall they do an event on campus where each region does something to represent their regional culture. A byproduct of the Andes Mountains running in three different mountain ranges through the country is there's very different pockets of culture in Colombia. And so they all come bring food, do dance, whatever from their region. 
And our kids got to participate in one of them. So it's kind of hard to see because it's a terrible photo. But um, that is our children dancing the cumbia. Cumbia. The cumbia. We want, we're going to have a cumbia later. No. Yeah, no, we won't. Um, and then these are just other pictures of just living, living life. There's a, a football tournament. John plays on one of the teams. Football, I'm sorry. There's a soccer tournament. John plays on one of the teams, and um, that's actually what the kids were selling, arepas and chicharron, or not chicharron, chorizo for. Um, that's us eating fresh uh, coconuts, and John learning how to peel them with a machete. The, the lady there, she's like 65, this incredible woman that runs this institute for um, educating pastors. She is in charge of 23 different groups. And she could peel this coconut with a machete in like two and a half seconds. She was like, <laughs> it was nuts. But anyway. Um, and I was trying to not be outdone. And I, was. <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't keep up. Yeah, you can keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then there's uh, weekly soccer and basketball games for the students. And kids play games too. The, this is other, okay, the right picture is one of the demolition of the old park pictures. A whole bunch of people just came out and just played in the mud basically. Taking, <laughs> I mean, I didn't participate in the teardown, so I'm saying it was play. I don't think it was actually really hard, but um, yeah, they all got muddy and played. Um, <clears throat> and then that big concrete slide in the right, am I in the way of y'all seeing pictures? Okay, the big concrete slide on the right, uh, I just like pointing it out because it's, it's pretty epic and really, really old and awesome. Um, and then the bottom was, I got to teach a painting class for the women, there's a student wives group, so there's a male single student group, a female single student group, and then there's a student wife group because there's a lot of married wives. Um, which was my reality when John went through seminary. So that's been really fun for us to get, for me to get to be a part of that. So this was some of the women from the student wife group, and we did a painting class together, which was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is our schoolroom. I'm homeschooling our kids. Nora is 12. She, we're on a different school calendar, so they just finished their school year, and I'll start in a couple weeks. We're on our summer break right now. Uh, she will be starting seventh grade. Lena, on the bottom left, is nine, and she'll be starting fourth grade. And then Cayman will be doing fifth grade. So, um, yeah, that's our schoolroom. <laughs> you can keep going. <laughs> that's a picture when we left in 2017. It's in the same sign. They're so much bigger. Okay. Yeah. All right, so um, these are, this is a picture of the city from the other direction. There's these little hills in the middle of the city that they've, two of them that they've set apart as parks, and you can climb to the top of them. Um, and so that's from the top of one of those. And you can actually see where the seminary is on the hill behind. I, I should have it marked, but it's up there on the it's hill. It's up there. It's, yep, right there on the hill. Yeah, and um, yeah, so you can see the kind of what it looks like. It's pretty dense. This is where, um, these are other city pictures, just to kind of show you guys that's kind more of what it looks like. That's our neighborhood. So yeah. That's, you walk a block and a half from our house, and that's where we buy eggs. The, uh, the big one on the left is actually 
quote unquote outside of the city. It's it's like a I guess you would call like a suburb here, but it's not suburban. So I don't know. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So the kids have gotten into rollerblading, which is great because you can do it pretty much anywhere. So I can just take them places and we'll go rollerblade. I just thought that was a fun. Um, that means I love Medellin. If if yep. you didn't know. And this bottom right picture, that's when we visited Uraba. Uh, and so a, a normal town will have one paved street in the middle, and then all the other side streets will look like this, uh, which is awesome because the cars have to go slowly because <laughs> of the amount of potholes. But it also means that the kids, that means the kids get to ride their bikes around and be really safe. And uh, yeah. this neighbor would allow them to go into their, his yard. Uh, and where we were staying, he talked about the six different types of mango this person had in their yard. I didn't know there were six types of mango. I thought there was one. I said, no, they all taste different. Yeah, so this is a picture of John's parents um, with our kids. They also live in Colombia, about 17 hours away from where we live. Um, it's not actually that far if you could fly, but, you know, it's really far if you're driving over the mountains. Yeah. And this is when we went to go see them. I just included this because where we live, it's like concrete jungle. Again, I've said that a couple times, but it's just dense city. And so I really like showing people more of what Columbia actually looks like. If you get out of this dense city, it's beautiful. And it has a rich, vibrant culture. Um, yeah, and this part of the country is actually one of the places where the Spanish originally came. So you still have some of these old Spanish cobble streets. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, prayer requests. And John, you can jump in here. Um, big praise that the playground has been installed. That's very exciting. And it also kind of goes along with it. Um, things were really shut down for a long time with COVID. And so things are opened back up again. Um, the library is rolling again. The kids' library, obviously the student library is, but the kids' library is up and going again. Things are happening on campus. It, it, it's exciting to have those doors and windows to the community back up and moving again and um, not to just sort of be that closed thing that we all experienced during COVID. Yeah. yeah. Um, praise again. We are, I think, I think we're really beginning to feel settled. Some, someone asked me kind of what I'm looking for this next year and um, I think we, again, we're feeling more comfortable and I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I can handle this. I can do the things that I've been doing this year. Now what's next, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. Like I've got the language enough that, that I can function. I know where to buy groceries. I know it's gonna take me all day. Like I've got these things sort of figured out. Now what else is next? Um, and, and I think there's a lot of things like that for our family. So, like internet, it took about eight months to get internet. Uh, and it was because we had to get a post put in and this, that, and the other thing. But it was worth doing because it meant several, there's a whole line of students that were able to get internet suddenly because we got internet. But it just needed somebody to hound and bother the internet company until they did. Uh, but it just it opens up the possibilities for the kinds of schooling that we can do, for example. Or, uh, 
having our, the kids' paperwork, we're, we're set for about five years. So it means suddenly we won't be dedicating days upon days upon days to do those sorts of things. Teresa does fantastic in Spanish. Her Spanish is phenomenal. Uh, and so she's been able, she can go out in the town and do anything, uh, which is a huge answer to prayer. Uh, and generally, the, the kids come back and they say that the taxi drivers talk with her more than they ever do with me. So uh, she's, she's doing a lot more evangelism it's around It's intentional. The town. It's like I've got them trapped. So <laughs> She does a lot. She's able to do even more yeah. evangelism. Uh, but it, 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 so our prayer is just kind of, Lord, show us what this next year, I've, you know, if anyone who's taught knows that that first year, year and a half is so hard to get your classes put together, but we've done that. We've, we've survived that first year. So now that the Lord would show us how we can, uh, we have, I'm not going to say free time, but we're able to be more intentional with what we do and that the Lord would just show us how we can do that well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, prayer for the seminary, I think... Uh, John mentioned it earlier, but the thing about the goalposts always moving. We are a small university, and a lot of the decisions that the government is making deeply affect a small university because their decisions being made for um, a school that's you know ten times our size. And so when you have a staff of one doing something that at another university they have a staff of thirty to do, mm -hmm. um, it it plays a big impact. And so. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're in prayer, obviously, for more professors and more um, good administration to come. And come might be, you know, come from Colombia. We love them to come from Colombia or other parts of South America or come as missionaries. Um, if, if they come as missionaries, I'll just throw this in because we haven't mentioned it, it means that the seminary doesn't have to pay their... Um, salary, right? So like the seminary doesn't pay anything for us to be there, which means that they're, enable, they're able to keep the tuition costs much lower for the students. So right now, uh, if you're an undergraduate student, uh, to, for room board and tuition, it's about $1,000 a semester. Uh, for the master's program, it's five million. So it's about 2,300 a semester for a master's student. Um, but that's, you know, it's as cheap as we can do it, <laughs> uh, and it requires missionaries uh, coming in, but it's also still very hard for students to come up with that money. Yeah. Uh, and that, most of that goes to paying the other folks from Columbia that are, that are there. And if this place is sustainable, so if this place can survive in 10 or 15 years without constant outside support, uh, just that the Lord would give wisdom to the administration for how to set it up that way. Uh, our real hope is that um, yeah, that it'll be a sustainable place that always welcomes missionaries but doesn't depend so heavily on them. Uh, right now, uh, we, uh, we just lost two professors, and there's two more that are looking to come, but it'll take them three years to raise their support. One of them is finishing their PhD uh, to raise their support and learn Spanish. So even though they've been hired, they won't be there for three years, two to three years, which is just part of the reality there. Uh, and so that the Lord would help us to plan ahead, but also to be able to kind of structure the seminary in such a way that's a little bit more sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, the next one I would say is prayer for the students. So um, one of the positives to being where we are in the city is that it's, it's very safe. The only sorts of dangers and crimes that people experience are just normal city crime, like pickpocketing or, you know, whatever you would see in Chicago, probably. So um, I think that uh, 
for the students, it's a, for many of them, not all of them, but for many of them, it's a welcome, blessed relief and time of just being able to focus on their studies. Now, it's uncommon because very few Colombian students leave home to go to university. That's a very American thing that was brought by missionaries. I don't think any of the other um, universities in our city have dorms. It's a very U.S. sort of mindset. Most of them, most of the students either stay at home, live with another family member that lives near the university, or they'll sublet a, a room from a family. So living in this constant family dynamic while studying is, is normal, which again makes it more special for them to be able to have interaction with a family. But it also means that they get this experience of living in community with other people thinking like they're thinking, which is something that I think as university students we take for granted. That's part of our university experience, but for them it's not. So they have this sort of incubator period to process ideas together and, you know, but they also are very aware that their family back home may be in a very different situation. And so um, prayer for them as they graduate and go out and leave you know, this bubble of the university and go back to places that um, sometimes look and feel very, very different. I mean, um, I mean, everything from they may not have running water at home, and they've had that in, in the city, to, you know, it may or may not be as safe as what they experienced while in university. The other few things, one is just pray for us to find a good home church. Uh, we have been attending a church that was outside the city, but our kids are at youth group age, and we want them to be able to attend youth group. All those events are in the evening, and we've just realized that we can't travel in the evening safely. Uh, so we need to find a church that's closer. Uh, so that it's incredibly difficult to find a gospel-preaching church close to the seminary, which is unfortunate, um, but it's just been the reality, uh, which is part of why we're there, right? There's a, there's a lack of pastors. But, uh, and the other thing is pray for our kids. Uh, as we think about their futures, Nora, one of the reasons we came back on furlough now, uh, after only having been gone a year and a half, is that our oldest daughter asked for a year of high school in the United States, a full year. And so in four years, we will come back to the United States so that she can do a full year of high school. Um, but we're trying to help them. I did that when I was in 10th grade, and it's hard. It's hard on the kid. There's a lot of adjustment. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of excitement. There's... Uh, so just that the Lord would show us how to prepare them as far as education goes, as far as sports goes, but also with the, the faith uh, entering. It's a different set of challenges. Um, just that the Lord would show us how to parent well. Um, pray for us as parents that we would uh, guide, that we would mess up well, uh, that we would apologize sooner to our kids and to mm -hmm. each other. Um, just that the Lord, it's, it's sort of the normal parenting things, but also the normal that the Lord would help us to. Sometimes you're in ministry, it's hard to do your devotional apart from the things that you have to do. But that we would read scripture and listen to the voice of the Lord and pray diligently and, you know, do, do the, don't, don't disregard the things that are absolutely vital to just being a believer. Um, yeah, so, and the last one is a thanks. We, it was, this was a quick, uh, it was a lot and it was a quick trip. Uh, and yet we're really thankful that the Lord was with us. Uh, we didn't catch too many sniffles until the very end, and so we're really thankful for that. <laughs> uh, and so we wanted to leave the last five minutes for uh, 
questions and answers. We have four minutes. So you can get out of here at 45. Uh, that's a picture of a student. So yeah, we'll, st we'll, stop, we'll stop here. Any questions? Yeah? What are the different religious sects? Yeah, mostly it's just Roman Catholicism, but it's a nominal Roman Catholicism. So it's one of these where you go to church twice a year, uh, but it's not the two times you're thinking of. It's going to be Christmas and Mother's Day. That's the times you go to, you go to church because your mom makes you. <laughs> uh, or your grandmother makes you. Uh, and so that, it's, it's a nominal Roman Catholicism, but it's usually people who uh, haven't thought carefully about their faith. They've never read their Bibles. Uh, they'll have done their first communion, and that's about it. Uh, and so one of the things the evangelical church tries to encourage and really focus in on is what does it look like to be a Christian who trusts in Christ and who seeks to know him better? Yeah, that's a great question. There, there are other uh, smaller groups that, for example, there's not very Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus. There's not really very big communities. Jehovah's uh, Witness. Jehovah's, there's, there are some Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, yeah, good question. Very good question. Yeah. I don't think there's any Mormons yeah. that I'm aware of. I mean, it's possible they're there, but I haven't seen them. We have 93 indigenous groups that have retained their culture and language. So that also that definitely true. plays a role, especially as you saw our city's grown rapidly. Not all, but many, some of those immigrants, like domestic immigrants, have been indigenous groups that have had to leave their land um, for various reasons. And so they've come bringing their, their language, their culture, um, yeah, and so it's, and they're pretty easy to spot. They have a distinctive um, style of dress. So, yeah. What kind of schooling do the kids on the seminary campus and those in your neighborhood typically do? Yeah, so there's a couple of options. There are public schools that some of the student children, children of students, attend. Um, <clears throat> and Yes, so there are public schools. There are um, private schools of sort of, they're, they're, they're not public, so that means they're not Catholic, which means they're usually, they're usually, the, the big one that's near our, near our school is a evangelical school um, that is private. Both of those two options, the public and the private evangelical school, academically uh, are not really an option if you want to attend further school in the U.S. Yeah. If our kids are going to jump in, slide into yeah. either 10th or 11th grade uh, or try to go to college here, they wouldn't be prepared for it. The reading level of our kids in Spanish is the same as theirs, and our kids have been there for a year. So it's one of these things that it, there's a huge disparity of what we expect a fifth grader to be able to do. There is a very, there are a couple uh, missionary or uh, uh, up elite private schools. Uh, there are some people on campus that do send their kids there. They're um, Catholic. They're, they're not Catholic. missionary. So there, there's... Well, isn't there yeah. one on, in, in Vigano? So on the other side of the city, there's, there's lots of school options, but they're way too far away from us. Mm -hmm. The other missionary kids that attend nicer, sort of more elite private schools, there are two large Catholic schools that are very expensive. Like, they cost more than my university cost. <laughs> yeah. um, and 
it hits, so when, and I, just to add awareness, like, again, we're living in a lower income neighborhood. So if, if your kid's leaving that and going to this really elite school, um, that's something that I struggle with, sort of. Yeah. And, and the ones that do, we have some friends that did, and that's totally okay, but they leave at 4.30 in the morning, they get back 4.30 in the afternoon to do homework. It's just hard on the kids. And so other kids could do it. I think our kids enjoy playing outside too much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, up there, we're looking at Teresa's asking how she maintains balance between the 40s and the Yeah, that's observant of you to see that. So I have been asked to be a part of Sims for Freedom group, um, which is a newer group that Sim is, um, or initiative that Sim is forming to educate SIM employees that are already on the field, because there's a lot of us, there's like 200,000 of us, um, in how to be aware of what a trafficking victim or someone that's vulnerable to being trafficked would look like, and then how to appropriately respond. So in other words, how do we utilize the people we already have on the field in the ministries that they're already doing? Um, it is, again, it's new. They've asked me to participate in the Latin American context. Um, I'm still praying about it. I, I have not said that I will do that. Um, I'm currently writing a class for them on what uh, the Bible has to say about human trafficking. In other words, how does theological education and an awareness of scripture help us to respond to human trafficking? So I'm working on a class for that. Um, that might be as far as I go for now. Um, I'm, but they have asked me to be more involved, and that's what I'm wrestling with. So yeah, if you could pray for that, that would be great, because that, that's a very, that would be a big turn for me in what we're doing right now, and it would be shifting a lot of my time and energy into something else. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Source of income for most people. So the day laborer makes the equivalent of approximately 15 U.S. dollars a day, a little bit less than 15 U.S. dollars a day. Um, there is a growing middle class, I would say. Um, historically, there's been a very large, very lower class, and then a very small, very higher class. Um, some of that is sort of merging together a little bit. Um, the normal source of income, what would you say the normal source small of income? Small business. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say most people own a little small business that they run. Uh, and so that's generally uh, where income comes from. In, uh, in, the, city. in the city, yeah. In the countryside, everyone is uh, lower income unless you own a huge swath of land. There's just farmers that are uh, subsistence farmers that, that sell one main crop. So coffee, bananas, whatever else it is. But usually you grow your own food. And in order to have money, you grow a certain crop. Um, it's surprising, though, when your taxis are one of the main forms of transportation there and they're very affordable and you'll be talking to a taxi driver and he'll have a master's in psychology or I mean that's a very common thing for people that are more highly educated to seek an additional source of income because they just not enough they don't have enough
done this. We're five minutes over, so we should pray. Uh, happy to ask us questions. Come pull us aside uh, if you have if you have any any questions. Uh, can I ask Mr. Tom? Would you sure. do us the honors? Thank you. Father, we're thankful for all the blessings we receive at your hand. Mm. Uh, we take time and a moment to thank about them. Lord, we see you send John and Teresa to an area that they don't experience those same kind of blessings, but they have blessings of a different sort, and we thank you for that. We thank you for John and Teresa and their family and their ministry that they're involved in. Lord, we pray for their safety and well-being. We pray that they might see the fruit of their efforts, that you would bless them with fruit, Father. And as they go home, Father, we pray that you would keep them healthy. Let them make this return trip safe. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much.